Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Acts 7. Now, I know that history may not have been your favorite subject when you were in school. And there may have been some days where you fell asleep during history class. There may have been some days where you goofed off during history class. But there probably was never a day where you got so angry at what your history teacher was saying that you and your classmates rose up, dragged the teacher outside, and stoned him with stones. Well, today we're going to see the first martyr of the early church. But before we get to the martyrdom part, we're going to see the longest speech that is written down in the book of Acts. And it's about history. It's about the history of Israel. So let's consider this speech and then let's ask, what can we learn? How should this inspire us to worship? And what should we apply from what we see here in Acts chapter 7? So again, remember the context. Stephen, who in the organization of the church was kind of one of the first deacons, and he was a man of character. He was a man of faith, and he became persecuted, and they brought false accusations against him, and he is on trial, and the high priest says, are these things so? And then Stephen begins with this long, um, just giving of the history of Israel. And so he talks to them and he starts with Abraham and he talks about how God, the glory, the God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham, when he was still in Mesopotamia. And it talks about the call of Abraham to come and he had no inheritance in the land, but God had promised to give it to him as a possession. And verse six says, and God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. So that is referring to the time they're going to spend in Egypt. Then it talks about their deliverance and the sign of circumcision. But then it comes to Joseph and it highlights Joseph's rejection. And that this is where we're going to start to see a pattern that comes up a couple times uh, in this retelling of Israel's history, and it's that someone who is rejected ends up being used by God for salvation because Joseph, well, he was rejected and they were jealous of him. They sold him into Egypt, but then he ends up being their salvation because they come and he provides food for them. He provides a place for them to stay. And then we get, you know, kind of fast forward past that, we get to Moses and it talks about Moses and how he was 40 years old and he saw an Israelite being oppressed and he strikes down the Egyptian. And it says in verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? 
But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses flees. So Moses was rejected. Even though he thought people would understand he was bringing salvation, he was rejected. Now notice this in verse 35. And consider, what's the pattern we've been seeing in the book of Acts? Oh yes, this Jesus, whom you crucified... God raised from the dead. Well, look at this now what it says about Moses. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So there again, Moses and Joseph rejected, but end up being used by God for salvation. Hmm, where could he possibly be going with this? Oh, maybe the message we've been seeing again and again through Acts. This Jesus, whom you crucified, he was rejected, but now God has raised him up and he is the means of salvation. But then he gets also into just some ideas about the tabernacle. And uh, verse 44 says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he whom who spoke to Moses, directed him to make according to the pattern that he had seen. But even though they had um, the the tabernacle and eventually they have the temple, they don't follow God. And then he comes to kind of a punchline. We don't know that this was intended to be the end of his speech, but the response of the crowd makes it the end of his speech in verse 51, you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So there he brings it home to them saying, you're following in this pattern of unfaithful people, people who have the word, they have the promises, but they're hard hearted and stiff necked, he says. And that's then what incites this response of wrath and anger and violence. And they take Stephen out and they stone him. And he says some things in the midst of all that. He says, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And the people that they literally are stopping their ears at that. And notice even Jesus making some similar comments to this similar crowd in his trial. And then he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And also says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he dies. So we see the history lesson, and then we see the response there. Well, what can we learn from this? One thing that stood out to me, especially just reading through this time, Acts, I've been noticing just that pattern of this Jesus whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. And having seen that so many times already now in Acts, seeing similar language used of Moses really stood out to me and helped me see some of what's the point of this long history lesson from Stephen. And there's a couple things, I think, towards the end with the temple and the tabernacle and them still not obeying is important. But those earlier parts of the speech, he's establishing that pattern. Somebody is rejected, but then becomes the 
means of salvation. And I think if he would have had time to go on, he would have made it even clearer. Hey, this Jesus, you've rejected, you've crucified, God has raised him up. Now you need to repent. So we can learn that and see that. Also, I would hope you would just learn there's a value in knowing biblical history. Here's the first martyr. You know what he could do? He could riff on the Old Testament um, and, and explain how it applied to the current situation. Do you know the Old Testament that well? Do you know your Bible that well? Do you even know the New Testament that well? You should seek to know your Bible and the history of the Bible like that as well. Uh, One thing we can worship God for as we consider this is we can think about how God deals with stiff-necked people. And one, we do see that there's patience. God could have wiped all of these people out at this point, but he doesn't. And thank God that there is patience for stiff-necked people because at one point you were stiff-necked and I was stiff-necked. And without the patience of God, we would not be saved. But we also need to worship God. And this may be a weird thing for us to think about. We should worship God for his righteous judgment. And again, maybe to our human sensitivities, that may seem off, but that's where we need to realize it's actually our human sensitivities that are off. Read the Bible, especially once we get to Revelation. We'll see some very clear statements. No, God should be worshiped for his righteous judgment. And eventually God will judge those who are stiff-necked and we should worship God for that and worship him with humility, knowing that it's not because we are better that we are saved. And one thing to apply as we consider this passage is to note and really to model both the boldness and the mercy that Stephen shows. Stephen is bold. He is not afraid to call the people out for their sin. And if we are going to be effective evangelists, we need to not be afraid of calling people out for their sin. But also you see his his mercy and his kindness and grace towards them that even while they're killing him, he is asking God not to hold this sin against them. And so we would do well to follow in his footsteps of not being afraid to be bold and to say to some people around us, you're you're stiff-necked in your lack of response to the gospel, but also to show the kindness that we don't then look down on them, but he has that compassion and mercy towards them as well. So the longest speech in the book of Acts, and it's a history lesson. And you know, it might be better than a lot of the history lessons you got in school. So don't stone anybody in response to this history lesson. Learn from it. Worship God for what you see here and seek to apply and model what you see in Stephen, both in his boldness and compassion, but also even just in his knowledge of the Bible. Let that be something that you aspire to and keep on reading God's word every day. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.